Amen. I'm going to be reading today from the book of Revelation. So if you brought your Bible, find the Apocalypse, find chapter 22, Revelation chapter 22. So it was a joy to be at Southwestern Seminary. Dr. Patterson, I did not expect you to be here today. I actually expected Dr. Blazing to introduce me. Uh, but nevertheless, I want you to know how much I love you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity to serve here. I love you and Mrs. Patterson. I love my colleagues, and I love our students. I'm absolutely thrilled every time I get the opportunity to come and to share the Word of God. I want you to remember to pray for me. I'm, I'm in the middle of a very busy week. I'm in four states in six days. And uh, I started out in Arkansas and spoke there, and I was in Louisiana yesterday and uh, flew in late last night. Of course, I'm here today, and then I'll get on a plane tonight and fly to North Dakota to speak at their annual meeting uh, for a couple of days. And then I'll fly back and preach in Arlington uh, on Saturday night. So uh, it's going to be an interesting, interesting week. So pray for me. Pray, pray that God would use me for his glory. I, every time I preach here, it's always a surreal event for me simply because I know where I came from. I was a high school dropout. I was in trouble with the law and I was living an immoral life when a black preacher from Chicago told me about Jesus. And uh, God got a hold of my heart and I have never gotten over the grace that was extended to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, to be with so many world-class scholars is an absolute honor and privilege. I love you so very much. Well, I don't want to keep the text waiting. Uh, it is a short pericope or passage, but nevertheless, it is power-packed with truth. And so I want us to put our ear to the text and hear what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Bible says this, and by the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one that hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Our Father, we ask you to do something special today. I ask you to sit down in this place. I ask you, Father, to meet with us. I pray that, Father, that we would not just have an ordinary chapel service today, but, Father, you would bless us with your presence. And I know that, Father, if Christ Jesus is magnified and exalted, that, Father, you will be glorified and you will deign to meet with us. I pray, Father, for revival. Starting where I'm standing, we need your heart. I pray, Father, for your glory and for your namesake. And Lord, if there is someone here that has never been born again from above, I pray that even in this invitation, that, Father, they would trust you as Lord and Savior and be saved. Do it for your glory. It's in Jesus' strong and mighty name we pray. Amen. A friend of mine recently linked an article on my Facebook page to a dear brother who was criticizing the use of altar calls. Now, as you know, this is not the first brother to question the use of public invitations. Many of you know that the famous expositor from Westminster Chapel, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
who was, by the way, noted for being an evangelistic preacher, wrote in his book to preachers one chapter dedicated to, um, uh, dedicated literally, literally to lambasting the use of public altar calls. It gave no less than nine reasons to jettison the practice. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for those that help us to critically evaluate our practices. And after looking at their concerns, I've concluded, by the way, that some of their arguments are indeed valid. The arguments, however, are easily addressed not by abandoning the public invitation altogether. The argument is easily addressed, and the arguments are easily addressed by extending better public invitations. <laughs> Many of the problems these guys have are not with public invitations per se. They're reacting against poorly handled invitations. And on this scale, they are right on target. Sometimes critics of the public invitation choose to use an ad hominem argument. Usually it's along the lines of something like this. They try to tie the invention of the public invitation to Charles Finney, who was at best a manipulating Armenian, and at worst he was a full-blown Pelagian. <laughs> and they think if they can tie it to him, then they can dismiss it. But that argument is absolute nonsense. Public invitations have been in our Baptist bloodstream for 250 years. There are two tributaries running into our Southern Baptist Zion. On one hand, you have the Charlton tradition. And on the other hand, you have the Sandy Creek tradition. And like it or not, the less Calvinistic, more revivalistic Sandy Creekers actually have provided the melody while the Charleston tradition has only provided the harmony in our convention. In the first Great Awakening, George Whitfield lamented that all of his chickens had become ducks. What he was saying is, is that everybody that's getting saved in his crusades and meetings, they're becoming Baptist. Born in that revivalistic incubator, the Sandy Creekers spread, as it were, like wildfire across the South. And get this, <clears throat> they were giving altar calls 40 years before Charles Finney was even born. Public invitations are in our DNA, but I can take you back further than the Sandy Creekers. I can take you back to the Anabaptists. I can take you all the way back to the Hiles Geschichte of the Old and New Testaments. We look into the sacred text and we see invitations all the way from Barashit, Bara Elohim, there in the book of Genesis, all the way to the end of Revelation, even Revelation chapter 22. I don't understand how somebody can read Genesis or read, for example, the book of Acts or read the sermon to the Hebrews or read the apocalypse and conclude that we shouldn't give people an opportunity to be saved immediately after we have proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. The thing that I want you to notice in our text today, first of all, is where our text is providentially located. It's located not at the end of Revelation. It's located at the end of the Revelation. Our text punctuates not only the book that we call the Apocalypse, but it punctuates the whole meta-narrative of, of the sacred canon. And I don't think that it's by chance that the Bible ends with an invitation. 
Uh, you remember when Luther and Zwingli, those two 46-year-old men, stood, as it were, face-to-face and toe-to-toe, vehemently disagreeing over the nature of the Lord's Supper and how at the end of those dialogues and those debates, Luther stuck out his, or rather Zwingli, rather, stuck out his hand to Luther. And Luther stood there with his hand frozen by his side. In this text, God is graciously holding out his hand, not only toward the unregenerate in Asia Minor, but to all of humanity. God stands there holding out his hand. As the curtain of the apocalypse draws to a close, it is in this final image of God, it it is this final image of God that is branded on our hearts and burned in our minds. The sovereign God of the universe standing there with his hand extended, inviting people to come to him. Since God has extended his invitation to us, we should extend his invitation to others. Since God has extended his invitation to us, we should extend his invitation to others. Or to put it another way, since God is leading the choir, we should join the chorus. And in this text, we do find a choir of voices all saying the same thing. Come, come, come and take. Come, come, come and take. Come, come, come and take. Built around three repeated imperatives, erkomai, God is calling us to add our voice to his. It's a very simple text, but it's profound. The first thing I want you to see is that the spirit and the bride say come. Look down there at verse 17. It's very clear. The spirit and the bride say imperative come. It shouldn't shock us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead is saying, come. This is consistent with the person and the work of the Spirit. He is happy in his role to exhort the lost to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus drops a bomb on the disciples when he begins to tell them that he is going away. That's why I had to say, let not your heart be troubled. You want to know why? Because they had walked with him for over three years, and now the presence of God, God in the flesh, was about to depart. And so they became sad. But Jesus said, don't worry, I'm going to send you another comforter. By the way, there are two Greek words for another, alos and heteros. Um, Alos means another of the same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind. Jesus, when he said, I'm going to send you another, said, I'm going to send you another alos, another of the same kind. He was letting his disciples know that even though his physical presence was about to depart, the spirit of the Lord was going to continue to be with them. And the word comforter is used there. Later on in John chapter 16, Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit of God is, in that text, the parakletos. Parakletos. It's interesting. 
It's made up of two Greek words, para, the preposition that means alongside of, and kletos, which is the, taken from the verb kaleo, which means to call. The Holy Spirit is the one that's called alongside us. We're, we're familiar with the word, the preposition para. If you fall out of an airplane, you need a parachute to come alongside you and aid you. If you're sick, you need a paramedic to come alongside and aid you. Uh, if you have legal issues, you need a paralegal to come alongside and aid you. Well, the Holy Spirit of God is the parakaleo. He's the paraclete. He's the one that comes alongside us to aid us. And in John chapter 16, the way that he aids the sinner is he convicts them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit of God convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And this is the beautiful thing about him. He doesn't just convict them. He convicts them so that he might convert them. He directs them to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. By the way, the verb exhort that we as preachers are called uh, to exercise uh, in terms of our preaching is the verb parakaleo. We are called to call men and women to come alongside of us, and no doubt about it, the Holy Spirit of God is there to empower our preaching when we extend the public invitation. And the beautiful thing I love about this, the Spirit says come. The beautiful thing I like about this is that the Spirit of God reveals to us God's disposition towards sinners. The Spirit says come. We see here the very heart of God, even as we did in the book of Genesis. You remember when God created Adam and Eve, and uh, God would come down in the rock, the spirit, the wind, the breath of the day, the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve would run uh, to God, and they would have fellowship one with another. But then you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters into the human race. And all of a sudden, God comes down in the cool of the day. And for the first time in human history, man in his total depraved state does something that he, is not hit, he had not hitherto done before. He runs away from God rather than to God. By the way, man has been running away from God ever since. That's right. But I want you to see the gracious act and initiative of God. Even in the book of Genesis, the open pages of Genesis, we have the fall of man, but then you have God pursuing man. And the, the, the words to Adam and Eve are so telling. Adam and Eve, King James Version, where art thou? God was not asking them where they were geographically. He's the omniscient God of the universe. God knew where they were. He was asking them where they were spiritually. That is the very gracious heart of God who takes the initiative to pursue sinners. And that's how the opening pages of the sacred text begin. And you find that throughout all of the sacred, holy canon of Scripture. And then we come to Revelation, and the last thing we have is God extending His hand through the Holy Spirit to humanity saying, come. The Spirit of God is the hound of heaven. He is the one that pursues sinners. He is the one that convicts them. He is the one that draws them. The old, old school word that we used to use is He is the one that woos them. 
drawing them to Jesus Christ. But not only in this text do we have the Spirit saying, come, that makes sense. He's the heart of God. But we also have the bride saying, come. Look at what it says. The Spirit and the bride say, come. It shouldn't be a shock to us either that the Spirit says, come, and that the bride also says, come. The bride is the intimate term for the church. The church is united to Christ by the Spirit. And it makes sense that if the bride is following the lead of the Spirit, that the bride would express the same thing that the Spirit says. And so the Spirit, Kai, that's a coordinating conjunction, and the, uh, the bride, they say come. They say come together. In fact, it's one voice. By the way, the spirit without the bride or the church is voiceless. And the church without the spirit is powerless. The spirit and the bride, they say, come. Maybe you saw the story of Jenny Stepien, a young lady that had fallen in love and was about to walk down the aisle on her wedding day. There was only one problem. Her father wasn't there. Her father had been killed 10 years before. He was literally robbed at gunpoint and shot to death. And um, Jenny lost her dad at an early age for her. Well, uh, her father actually uh, was on a heart transplant donor list. And so they took the heart of Jenny's father and they transplanted it into a man that was dying of congestive heart failure. His name was Arthur Thomas. And so, Jenny came up with a wonderful idea. My father is not here to walk me down the aisle, literally. But she contacted Arthur Thomas, and she asked him, the one that had the heart of her father, if he would walk down the aisle and lead her down the aisle. Well, it was a beautiful, beautiful time as Jenny, during her wedding, was being led down, by, down the aisle by the one that had the heart of her father. It is no less special to us, the bride of Christ, to be led by the one that has the heart of our father. The Spirit of God says, come. And we, the bride of Christ, should be led to say, come. The Spirit of the, the, the Lord exhorts sinners to come to Christ. And you and I should exhort sinners to come to Christ. The Spirit and the bride say, come. If you claim to be God's bride and you are not inviting people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ publicly or personally, then mark it down, you are not being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the heart of God. And if we are um, united to Christ by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God fills us and we literally call men to Christ because it's the very thing that um, God wants to do for sinners, call them to himself. We see in this text God standing there, holding out his hand. But not only does the Spirit and the bride say come, the one who hears says come. Look at the text. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears, by the way, it's an imperative, say, come, two imperatives, literally. 
Let the one who hears say, come. You know, when you study the apocalypse, you'll find there are eight aorist imperatives in the book that scholars call the hearing formula. Uh, to each one of the seven churches, um, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, um, Laodicea, to each one of those churches, you had this at the end of each, each address to the church, this idea, let him that has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then again, John uh, records the same aorist imperative in uh, chapter 13. Hear or listen. And so when you study this, and by the way, it's bookended on both sides by blessed are those that not only hear but heed. Literally, you've got this inclusio in the whole book. So (laughs) it's not hard to understand what God is saying. God is saying to hear, but not just to hear with our physical uh, ears what is said orally to us, but rather the call to hear is the call to obey. We in the academy need to be careful that we don't substitute education and knowledge for obedience. Let me say that again, because I'm speaking to my colleagues now. I'm starting where I'm standing. And I'm speaking to those that are working on higher level degrees. We in the academy do not need to be guilty of substituting education and knowledge for obedience. Did you know that you can have a PhD, not call men to come to Jesus Christ and be disobedient? That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit and the bride, they say, come. And then the Lord turns around and says, the one who hears, the one who obeys, he also says, come. If you claim to have heard, that is, you, you, you claim to have obeyed the voice of God, and you are not inviting people to come to Christ publicly or personally, then regardless of what you say, you are not being obedient to God. We need the very heart of God in our preaching and in our teaching. The other uh, day, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I was uh, teaching uh, a number of college students suffering for Jesus there in Glorietta, New Mexico, and um, had a room full of college students, over 100 college students. We were walking through the apocalypse. My subject for the day was Christ as Redeemer and worthy of devotion all found in the apocalypse. And at the end of that class, it would have been perfectly acceptable for me to say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's pray and move on to your next session. But we were dealing with the blood of Christ. We were dealing with the lofty idea of redemption. We were dealing with John seeing a lamb, but not just any lamb, an arneon, a baby lamb. He was slain, but he was standing. And I just felt led of the Spirit to do something out of the ordinary, give an invitation. Now, I'm not saying it was, you know, let me have five preachers come forward and I need somebody to lead five stanzas of just as I am, you know, or something like that. But I just gave a public invitation for college students who, by the way, were there focusing in on missions. You would think, save college students. I gave them an invitation. And would you believe that by the grace of God, two young men made professions of faith publicly that day. Guys, I'm telling you, 
We need to come to a place where we have the very heartbeat of God. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears, we that are obedient, let us also say, come. Can I just say this? The African-American brother that led me to Christ was uneducated in terms of a formal education. Doesn't have a lick of school in terms of a formal education. But guess what he did? He was smart enough to invite me to come to Jesus. And this is going to ruffle some more feathers. You're ready for this? He's also a full-blown Arminian. Does that mean I'm not saved? Of course not. Let, let me tell you something. He might believe that uh, a person can lose his salvation, but when he extended that call for me and came down and stood in front of me and said, do you want to be saved? It was public and it was powerful. And the Spirit of God drew me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I took about two steps and I got down on my face and I just prayed a simple prayer like this. I just said, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. And that worked. And I've never been the same. I'm just a nobody telling everybody now, but somebody who can save anybody. His name is Jesus Christ. You've got to extend this call. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that, it he that hears, he that is obedient, also join the choir and say, come. But not only that, the thirsty are invited to come and take. <laughs> Look at the text. And let the one who is thirsty, there it is again, come. And let the one who wishes, imperative, take the water of life without cost. You know what I love about our God? Anybody that's thirsty, whosoever will, may come and may take. In fact, the Holy Spirit of God is commanding them to come. Of course, this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 55. Did you know that when you study the apocalypse, you will find more Old Testament references in the apocalypse than in any other book, including the book of Hebrews? Thoroughly grounded in the Old Testament uh, canon and text. And so, um, the Lord here is drawing on that. John here is drawing on that. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that's thirsty, let them come to the waters. If you don't have money, buy, buy, buy wine and, and bread without cost. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful text. God is extending his voice 800 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. And the text says there in Isaiah 55, and it says here, let him take of this water freely. I love that. You want to know why a sinner can get a drink free? You want to know why all men whosoever will may come and take? Because Jesus Christ already paid the, the, the price on Calvary. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed us white as snow. Come, come, come and take. Come, come, come and take. Since God has extended his invitation to us, we should extend his invitation to others. In Isaiah's day, they were spiritually thirsty because they were drinking from idols and idolatry. The people in the apocalypse, those seven churches, there were regenerate people among them and there were unregenerate 
people among the church, the churches, and they were languishing because of idolatry. Let me tell you something that idols will do. Idols will cause spiritual thirst. Let me ask you something. What if there was a fountain right here, a literal fountain that could slate your thirst, not only for now, but throughout all of eternity? If there was a literal fountain right here, you would be a fool not to, first of all, drink from it. You would be a fool to go somewhere else. You would be a fool, number two, not to drink from it exclusively. And by the way, the world offers a lot of places to drink. You turn on the internet, get on your browser, on your um, smartphone, and there's an invitation, come and drink. I walk into my house, you guys know how spiritual I am, I have a 70-inch TV, <laughs> high def, 4K. And by the way, when I walk in, guess what the guys in high definition are doing in, at ESPN? They're reaching out and they're saying, come and drink. Come and drink. Just, just sit down for a little while and come and drink. I mean, invitations everywhere. I walk through the mall and I am bombarded. There's a cacophony of voices saying to me, come and drink, come and drink, come and drink. What if there was a fountain here, however? And if I, had, if I was a wise man, I would not only drink from it, but I would drink from it exclusively. By the way, by drinking from it exclusively, I would show how glorious that fountain is. Jeremiah 2 says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Wow. Can you imagine that? Israel turning from Yahweh to Baal. Or turning from Yahweh to Ashtaroth? Or turning from Yahweh to Molech? Can you imagine these churches in, 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 in the book of Revelation turning from the Lord Jesus Christ and worshiping the emperor of that day, the one that claimed to be Pantocrator? Can you imagine that? If there was a fountain right here, I would drink from it. If I was a wise man, I would drink from it exclusively. And oh, by the way, if there was a fountain here that slated my thirst like that, I would praise it. I would take a drink and I would say, ah. And I would want the world to know, this is the place you need to come. I would not only drink from it, I would drink from it exclusively. I would um, praise it. But are you ready for this? I would share it. <laughs> there it is. We that have slated our thirst in the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hears, him that is obedient say, come. Whosoever that is thirsty, come and take. You want to extend the invitation because that invitation was graciously extended to you. Since God has extended his invitation to us, we should extend his invitation to others. A few years ago, I was preaching in Ardmore, Oklahoma, and I was with the church. We were having a mission tour that, in fact, a great church in Mississippi that gave us, for example, Dr. Kyle Walker, Brian Bogue, one of our THM students that just recently graduated, Jeff Manning, and just wonderful church. We were having a mission tour there, so we had about 75 of our youth 
and uh, we were at a little little Indian church actually, and the youth were singing every night, and I was preaching, and uh, about Wednesday or Thursday during this mission tour, the Spirit of God sat down on that place. <laughs> I'm not talking about just having a good church service. I'm talking about one of those services where the Spirit of God just visits His people, and all of a sudden, people are being saved, and young men are surrendering to ministry. We had a young lady that night surrender to missions. We gave an extended invitation, and God continued to just stir the waters, if you will. We went back to our hotel, and it's right off 35 there. It's now called the Guest Inn. It's one of those old-school hotels that has outside entry. And when we drove in, probably about 10 o'clock that night, there was a softball team right out front, and um, they had just played a softball game, and um, the tailgate was open, and there were about 10 or 12 people, a couple of girls sitting on the tailgate, guys standing around. They had a, their coolers out there, and they were sitting around, and they were having a party literally in the parking lot. And we all scattered and went into our, went into our rooms, and um, I went into my room, and as the night grew on and, and, and moved along, they got louder and louder and louder. And the Spirit of God got louder and louder and louder on the inside of me. And the Spirit of God was consistently saying to me, Vern, go out and speak to him. Vern, go out and speak to him. Vern, go out and tell him about Jesus. Of course, it's those moments, you know, that Henry Blackaby would call the crisis of faith, you know, where you start, you know, first of all, I, I need some identification from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Lord, is this really you? <laughs> I mean, after all, they're inebriated, and Lord, let me remind you of something. They've also got baseball bats. And, I, and then I started rebuking the devil. I rebuked that thought in the name of Jesus, you know. And uh, the Spirit of God was saying, burn, go, burn, go, burn, go. And I, 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 I reluctantly, I had a T-shirt on, some shorts, and some flip-flops. And I walked out. I, now, again, I'm walking up to just a crowd of these people, you know, that are, um, you know, as we used to say, three sheets to the wind, they're inebriated. And um, I'm walking up to them, and, and I get scared, and, 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 and I act like I'm getting something out of my car, you know. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, Lord. <sighs> okay, Lord. Is this really you? Okay, be with me. Okay, get up. I'm like Jonah. You know, I'm moving in from, you know, it takes me three days. But next thing I know, literally five minutes later, ten minutes later, I'm standing right there at the tailgate, and I'm witnessing about the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, two of them put down their beers. They were backslidden Baptists in a church that I used to preach in in Oklahoma City. And I'm witnessing to them. But you know, there's always that one guy there, right? He was about, I don't know if he was old enough to drink, young man. Reached down into the cooler, pulled out an ice-cold Budweiser. I mean, it looked like a commercial. The ice was running down the side. Popped it open, stuck it in my face. And he said, here, preacher, drink this. Now, you go back to the old Vern Charette, the one that was alive before 1989, and there is no way that I could have turned down an ice-cold Budweiser. There is no way I could have refused to drink from that fountain. But let me just tell you the truth, and I'm not saying this in spiritual pride whatsoever. Let me just tell you the truth. You want to know why that temptation had absolutely no alluring effect on me whatsoever? 
You want to know why I easily refused the invitation? What that young man didn't know is that I had already been drinking that night. (laughs) I was just drinking from another well. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that is thirsty or that, that, that hears and that obeys say, come. Let him that is thirsty come and take. We should extend his invitation to others because God graciously extended that invitation to us.